I met once with a leader of a large faith-based nonprofit, and his ministry had been very successful all over the world. And he had focused on uh, investing in uh, indigenous leadership in poor communities and helping them uh, grow and plant farms and start businesses, and God really seemed to have blessed it. And he, he wanted to begin a similar ministry in East Knoxville, and uh, he had heard that I knew a little bit about what was happening here, and he suggested, uh, why don't we get together and maybe you could tell me what's going on. And, and so we met. He was from another city. This was some time ago. And uh, it was a very interesting kind of conversation. Really appreciated his heart and his passion. But he, he didn't really ask me any questions. He talked for uh, most of the time about how much God had blessed him in other parts of the world. And uh, I, I, finally, I kind of interrupted and I said, hey, that is so great. But have you talked to anyone in, in East Knoxville about some of these things that you want to do? And he said he hadn't. And uh, he, he said, if you, I've said, have you talked to any of the leaders that are working on something similar to what you want to do there? And he said, no, he hadn't. And that, that might be a good, a good idea. And, and uh, I encouraged him. I, he said, well, I've got a lot of donors behind me. And I said, if, if you do, I would take uh, a year and hire two staff and do nothing but listen uh, and find out who's already doing what you want to do in the community. And don't put anything on your website. Don't talk about it until you've figured out a little more about what's going on the ground because you really don't have any idea. <laughs> and I, that conversation comes to mind um, because I so identify with it. And I, I so often have, I think, made similar mistakes uh, of assuming I knew what was going on in a neighborhood or community uh, without really listening and paying attention to it. I think I've, I've often not understood the law of unintended consequences, and that's something we need to think a lot about as we move into a new, new neighborhood, is you can have the best intentions and you can mean well, but sometimes things happen that you didn't anticipate that are actually hurtful rather than the help that you intended to cause. And if you're interested, there's two books I'd recommend, Toxic Charity by Bob Lupton and When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett. Those are two books that kind of talk about this theme. Well, as you know, neighborhoods are complicated, interdependent ecosystems. And they are like, you remember that little thing you put on your kid's crib and they would hit it. Is that a mobile or a mobile or what do you call it? You get the idea. You know, that's like planets on top of it. And if the little one would pop Jupiter, you know, Mars would move out of place. Everything would skittle. That's the way cities are. That's the way neighborhoods are. If you just gently adjust something or start something or begin something over here, the whole system is affected. And so you have to be very prayerful about where you go in and what you do and that God is actually inviting you to do something because if you're not, you can mess up the whole system. And that's why theologians like uh, Willie Jennings talk about this idea of being a guest before you're a host in a new neighborhood. We talked about that last week a little bit of, uh, of just before you kind of start ministering and serving, you're a guest. You, you take your time to let the neighborhood kind of tell you its story. Well, that's not to say that we don't ever go. We are a going people. Jesus 
moves into a new neighborhood. John 1.14 from the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So we're in the neighborhood to go out and to move into the space and bring God's presence. But the question is how? Uh, surgeons have an adage, I'm told, in medical school, first do no harm. And that's probably something for us to keep in mind this first year. Uh, let's first do no harm. Let's really have our heart to the ground, to our neighbor, to the Lord, to sense what he wants us to do first. So as we said before, we're, we're not going to do anything new for a year. Uh, we're going to continue to do the things, you know, that we've been doing, but we're not going to start new things for a year as we try to listen and learn in the new neighborhood. And, and to help us towards this end, this summer we're going to do a, a series on Sunday evenings asking the question, what does it look like for our church to be a good neighbor in this neighborhood? And by neighborhood, we mean like half a mile around this area. Now, I, I think there'll be a lot of applications in this series, right? Because Jesus tells us that whoever's in need is your neighbor. And we all live in neighborhoods. Most of us don't live, you know, right down here. So there's a lot of ways I hope this applies as you think about who you work with and who lives next to you and study with and things like that. You might even apply it in here because we've been apart for a long time and we need to re-engage and we kind of need to do a little neighboring even in this room. But the primary application uh, will be what does it look like for our church family to be a good neighbor in this neighborhood? So that's kind of what we're going to do this summer. Jesus says that neighboring is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Mark 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. So if that's kind of the heart of being a Christian, it's worth our time this summer to think about it a little bit. Uh, and I've just been kind of praying and thinking about what scriptures might guide us over the summer. And I thought we might begin at the beginning, this powerful passage about us being made in the image of God. Uh, then God said, just to read it again, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, what is the image of God? And what does that have to do with neighboring? Well, let's kind of dig into the passage a little bit, and then we'll draw some applications. Uh, the Hebrew word for image means to be similar to something or to be like something. Genesis 5.3 says that Adam had a son in his image. And that means that Adam's son is somehow similar to Adam. Sometimes the Hebrew word was used for statues that resembled a god or an animal. So to be made in the image of God is to resemble God in some way. The Hebrew word for likeness means to be made in the pattern of something. 
In 2 Kings 16.10, King Ahaz sees an altar that he wants the priest Uriah to build, and so he creates a model of the altar he wants built, and that's the Hebrew word for likeness in Genesis 1.26. So to be made in the image of God is to somehow to be patterned after God, to be uh, like God, to, in some ways to be modeled after God. Now, we find another clue. When you look around in the ancient Near Eastern context, other nations like Egypt said that their kings and only their kings were made in the image of God. And one of the things that you see when you study the book of Genesis, and particularly chapter 1, is there's this contrast between uh, the gods of other nations and the gods of Israel. And so one thing that might be happening here is that we're to conclude that in God's family, everyone is a child of the king. Everyone is royal. Everyone has royal dignity. A couple other clues here. It says, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, Men and women are equally image bearers. And then observe that God uses a plural pronoun when speaking about the creation of human beings. It's always it's kind of an interesting little passage there. He says, let us make man in our image. Now, there are different ways to understand that. Uh, one way to read this is that God is revealing in the very first page of the Bible his Trinitarian communal nature. That this is like a prophetic hint that God exists in community in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that means, if we've read that right, that to be made in the image of God is to be built for relationship. Now, one last little clue here. Notice the role God gives human beings in his creation. Let, let's, let's think about that for a minute. They are to have dominion over the earth. And, you know, sometimes we have to acknowledge that that has not worked out well. Um, sometimes Christians have uh, not treated the earth and stewardship well. But that's not the idea of the passage uh, let me quote from a writer who I thought really captured it. He says, Dominion does not mean destruction, but responsibility. It is true that a false view of dominion has played a role in the mistreatment of creation, but a correct understanding of the concept can lead to service, responsibility, and stewardship. God gives us the opportunity to reflect him in his work for caring for and transforming all of creation. To follow this aspect of our multifaceted calling as humans is to image in our lives the one who is at work in the world and in human life, creating, sustaining, and liberating creation. Now, some theologians find here a cultural mandate that human beings here are invited to join God in the creating and stewarding over culture. 
Uh, one scholar says this, when we obey the cultural mandate, we participate in the work of God himself as agents of his common grace, entering upon a lifelong quest to devote our skills and talents to building things that are beautiful and useful while fighting the forces of evil and sin that oppress and distort the creation. So there's this, this, this beautiful image of creativity and culture making that comes out of these verses. Uh, the, probably the best book I read on this is by Andy Crouch. It's called Culture Making. He says, when the human beings, male and female, are created in God's image, surely the primary implication is that they will reflect the creative character of their maker. So all of that seems to be bound up in being made in the image of God. Here's just a few things that we've seen. Every human being is made in the image of God. To be made in the image of God is to be like God, to resemble God, to be patterned after God in some way. Every human being is, in, in some sense, a child of royalty. We express our identity as image bearers in community and in culture bearing. Now, there's a much longer study that we could do on this, but uh, the Bible never says that sin erases the image of God in a human being. Matter of fact, in James 3, it says essentially to treat people kindly with your words because everyone's made in the image of God. In Genesis 9, it says to be fruitful and multiply because everyone is made in the image of God. This is long after sin has entered the world. So every human being is created in the image of God. Well, what can this passage teach us about being a good neighbor in our new neighborhood? Now, I'll end with three uh, applications. The first, every person in our neighborhood is made in the image of God. The wealthiest person, the poorest person, the barista, the bartender, the banker, the barber, they're all made in the image of God. The Christian, the Buddhist, the Jew, the Muslim, the secularist are all made in the image of God. The person overcoming addiction, the entrepreneur made in the image of God. Everyone in our neighborhood has dignity and worth. Everyone is made for relationship. Everyone has the capacity for culture making. Everyone in our neighborhood is made in the image of God. It's very important to keep that in mind. The next one, I, I want to be careful how I say it, but I think it's important as we start our journey together here. Our neighbors have much to teach us. Now, of course, some of our body already lives around this neighborhood. They have much to teach us, and we'll try to listen from those folks too. But our neighbors, regardless of where they are with their faith, have much to teach us. And I want to just suggest that sometimes Christians and churches can adopt the mentality that goes something like this. And I'm going to say it sort of crudely to make a point, And then we'll try to unpack this the rest of the, the series. But sometimes the narrative goes like this. We are Christians. God has saved us. He has revealed his ways to us in his word. 
Non-Christians are lost. They are living in darkness. They are trying to destroy our faith. We are in a war. The non-believer is the enemy. What could I possibly learn from a lost person? Now, what's challenging about that, and this is something we're going to think about during this series, is every word in that narrative can be attached to a text in the Bible, particularly the, the Old Testament. And, and as we've often said when we're together in God's Word, you can't just take one verse and say, this is what everything means. The Reformers said, Scripture must interpret Scripture. So, you have to look at the whole teaching of God. And one of the things that I think we'll learn this summer is that the way Old Testament believers related to their neighbors was different than the way we relate to believers in the New Covenant. And some serious things change. And one great rule of thumb, whenever you're confused about what God wants or what the Bible says, is to always go back to Jesus. And so one of the things that we notice with Jesus is he doesn't relate to his neighbors that way. Uh, one of the things we'll see is that Jesus talks about spiritual warfare in a different way. Jesus, instead of saying the Canaanites or the Philistines are our enemies, he talks about spiritual war, about spiritual beings that oppress and try to harm all people. And he draws stories and illustrations from the life of the neighborhood to teach about the kingdom. He spends a lot of time at neighborhood parties. He makes non-religious people the moral heroes of his parables. Now, he has come to bring the good news of the kingdom of God, but he likes to talk about this good news in public spaces with non-religious people. So you never get the sense that people outside of Israel are the enemy. If he really gets upset with people, it's usually people inside, <laughs> inside the religious community that are not really following him right. He loves them and builds relationships with them. So the Bible's teaching that every human being is made in the image of God means that our neighbors, whether they're religious or not, people of faith or not, can and often are at work in the flourishing of our neighborhood. And so there is much that we can learn from their wisdom. And so as we seek to be guests before host, we can take a posture of learner before teacher. And hopefully that will prepare us for the opportunity to teach and share about the good news of Christ. One of the things that I've tried to do this year is get to know different leaders in the community and had some wonderful conversations. Uh, two of the ministers that are real close to our neighbors are going to preach to us this summer and just tell us about what they think neighboring means in this neighborhood. Uh, and one of the best conversations I had was uh, with a, a man who owns a restaurant in the neighborhood. And we don't know each other well enough to talk about faith yet. I don't know where he is spiritually, but gosh, is he wise. And, and I, he's going to be a real mentor for me as we move into this community. Well, lastly, 
Because every human being is created in the image of God, we can look at our neighborhood with an abundance mentality and not a scarcity mentality. And let's unpack that just a little bit. It's very easy to enter a new neighborhood, especially a neighborhood where there's a lot going on and there's challenges, with a scarcity mindset. We can focus on the problems in the neighborhood first. And our approach can be, hey, what's wrong here? We're here to help. But if everyone in our neighborhood is made in the image of God, we might be better to begin by focusing on the gifts that are already in the community. Uh, I think we can assume that there's an abundance of giftings in the community. Maybe not spiritual gifts like we would think of in the church, but people made in the image of God who are serving the community already. And that maybe the neighborhood already has resources and leaders and strengths that we can support and encourage. So instead of looking at our neighborhood through the lens of need and asking, what outside resources can I bring in here to solve this problem? Maybe we assume that God's already at work in the neighborhood, that he's been in churches like this for 100 years here, that there's probably the people of God already hard at work here, and many people who don't know God who are hard at work here, and maybe start there. I'll end with another story of just a, I heard about a person who was very sincere and loved uh, God, loved her neighbor, didn't live um, anywhere near the downtown area, but really had a heart for what was going on. And when all the, the, uh, the shootings um, happened, uh, they, they went to an urban leader and they said, you know, I've got a lot of resources. I think we should get all the black pastors together to help them solve the violence problem. Now, that's a pure heart. We all want to solve the violence problem. Um, but what she hadn't really thought of was, maybe she just didn't know, but the longest standing ministerial association in Knoxville is in the black community. It's called Kiko. They meet every Tuesday. There's another one that I'm a part of that has been meeting a long, long time. And so there was a sort of this assumption that they either don't really know what to do about this or uh, they're incompetent. And I've been in meetings with those pastors and I've wept with them as they have prayed in anguish over what to do. So as we begin this journey into the neighborhood, Let's be careful that we don't feel like we're bringing outside gifts into a community where God's not already at work because he's been here a long, long time. And God is so big and so good, he can work through his own people and all people who are made in the image of God. Lord, as we come to the table now, um, I pray you'd feed our souls. We're all coming out of the pandemic in a different way. Maybe some tonight here are like the broken body, the good Samaritan on the road. Maybe 
or rather the, the dying man on the road that the Good Samaritan helped. Maybe there's some here tonight that just need to be neighbored. They're not even ready to neighbor anyone else. Maybe we could start there. I pray you might show us who our neighbor is in this room as you prepare us to be good neighbors outside. Meet us, please, at the table, we pray. Amen.